was that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth. When the heavens gathered breathless around a lowly stable. When a young mother wept tears of worship, falling on the baby in her arms. And the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem, soft as the tender beating of his heart. And all was calm, all was bright. Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel, this baby, this fragile life? Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? Whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms? Who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament? Oh, good afternoon. I look forward to this season every year, especially to see that video again. My goodness, it's just so impactful, so powerful. Did you enjoy that? I wish we could make something like that. <laughs> it's good to have you guys here this afternoon. I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 3. Um, you know, today's the beginning of Advent and we're going to get there, but I thought it's fitting to go to John chapter 3 as we look at this uh, part of the season, this joyous season uh, together. John chapter 3, we know it so well. Even feel free to read along with me if you so desire. I'm reading from the CSB. And it says, For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. And look at this in verse 36. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see 
life. And then Romans 15, 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul writes, And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. In verse 13, Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at those incredible passages, those reminders. I could, just, I could just stop now. There's the message for today. God so loved the world, and if you believe in him, you have life, and you're filled with hope. Worship team, you can come back up. Woo. The gift of hope. The gift of hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of what is hoped for, the conviction of what is unseen. The substance of what is hoped for and the conviction of what is not seen, what is unseen. At Christmas, many of us have hopes and dreams. Now, many times those hope and dreams are focused maybe on materialism or other things. As a child, I can remember coming out to the living room and you see the lit tree, similar to these, except they're not lit. How do we light those things? <laughs> you'd come out and you'd see the gifts and you're wondering, you're waiting, you're looking for your tag. I wonder if today's gonna be the day. I wonder if Santa, aka mom and dad, remembered. And you have this hope, this feeling, this expectation, desire that this is the day, Isaiah, this is the day. Hopefully you've had many of those glorious Christmas mornings where you got exactly what you hoped for. Hope is defined as this, a feeling of expectation, of a strong desire for something particular to happen to the point where you can, you can feel it so much as a place of trust that it's going to happen. That which you hope for most is going to happen. And we encounter these feelings at Christmas time. We celebrate, we prepare. And so it's one thing to receive the gift under the tree, there's also this preparation that goes into it. Mr. Stan probably goes out and has a list and he's prepared and he's, he's, he's preparing those thoughtful gifts for his loved ones. They put all this time on just to see our loved ones' reactions. Imagine what it was like when Jesus sent his son and the father saying, oh man, just, just you wait. He just couldn't wait for baby Jesus to arrive. Recently, I was watching a few Hallmark movies, and you see in these movies that it's the reason of perpetual hope where dreams can come true. You ever watch those kind of films? They can stir you. They can move you. Today, on the Christian calendar, is the beginning of Advent, of hopes and dreams that are realized. And the word advent, for sake of those who may not know, it comes from the Latin word eventus, which means arrival. Arrival or come. It signals this special time at Christmas where we look intentionally and focus for the true reason of the season. It's not about that prized gift, as wonderful as it is. It's not about that special feast, as delicious as it is. But it's about Jesus. It's about the arrival of the Son of God. Emmanuel, God with us. How cool is that? When you look at the word, you look at John chapter 3 and you read it, it says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that we live in this chapter of human history that we can benefit from the scriptures that show us, Diane, of the promises and prophecies fulfilled. Imagine being in the shoes of the early People of God waiting, hoping, expecting, longing for Messiah to arrive. We now enjoy the spoils of his life that was given for us. And the power of the resurrection. He, he accomplished this rescue for all of us by redeeming what was lost. And sometimes we forget that at Christmas, but there's another reason why we exchange gifts. Every gift has a cost. If Isaiah would get me a gift, 
It would be at his expense, but I would receive it, and thankfully. There's always the cost. Someone has to remit that cost. Jesus remitted that cost for us. First Peter chapter two, verse 24, we do have these verses are down near the bottom of the, of the software. And first Peter 2:24 says this: "He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds, you've been healed." First John 2:2, 2, 2, "He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours but also those of the whole world. The whole world. A lot of times we can maybe get pigeonholed and, and think, this, this gift, it's mine. Like the gift under the tree. It's got my name on it. Well, the beautiful thing is in the kingdom of God, your name's there. Your name's there. My name's there. All our names are there. If you believe in Jesus, our names are there. And we're told in Romans 3, 24, that we're all justified freely by this grace, this gift through Jesus Christ. And so for generations, wreaths have been made out of evergreens. These evergreen wreaths, they symbolize life that comes out of darkness. You ever looked in the bitter cold of winter? Everything is dead except for the beautiful evergreen trees. It's amazing. And then once upon a time in around 1839, a Lutheran minister thought, I'm going to make a wreath out of these evergreens. And he made this wreath and he filled it with red and white candles. The red symbolizing the price that would be paid. And the white symbolizing the perpetual truth that came through Christ. Light out of darkness. The Advent wreath. This hit me in a whole new, you know, way of thinking as I turned on my Christmas trees even last night and I saw the wreath outside of my front door and I thought, thank you, Jesus. We had the red and the white on. I said to my wife, I don't know if I can change that color now. Because <laughs> it's a great reminder. And I love the multicolor changing lights, don't get me wrong, but there's something about seeing that red and white. There's a reminder there. And so at Christmas, we celebrate, we recall that which happened so long ago. This hope that was manifested in Christ. So I want you to keep this point in the back of your mind. You ready, Lydia? Here's the point. This hope all began with a birth. This hope began with a birth. So turn with me as we look to the nativity of Jesus. Nativity, the occasion for our Savior's birth. We're told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon. 14 generations. And from exile to Babylon until the Christ. 14 Generations, And if you just switch, Claudia, the presentation view to preaching, that'll fix that for you. In verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. 
He named him Jesus. Just imagine what it would have been like for Joseph, just for a moment. I don't have this in my notes, but just think. This guy, all his hopes of wedding Mary, and he finds this out. Oh my gosh, you're pregnant, and it wasn't by me. And he's going through these emotions, emotions that we all share, especially at Christmas. Emotions are at, you know, high level. And he's weighing some things. And you got to love in the times when we're weighing important decisions, that's when the Lord speaks. The angel of the Lord comes and says, Joseph, don't do anything hasty. This is, this is the Lord at work. He has a plan. Don't worry about ridicule. Don't worry about speculation in the community, distrusting God. Hey, we've all been there. When God speaks to us and he's moving upon our hearts and the people in the community don't get it. This is very similar. Joseph's thinking, the people aren't going to understand this. They're going to think my wife is a scoundrel. <laughs> and I'm a scoundrel by association. He's saying, don't worry. This is what's going on. And in many respects, something I never thought about until I read this this very week. Here would have been an opportunity, as the angel of the Lord spoke, there would have assuredly have been, even though it's not in the story account, the deception of the evil one saying, Joseph, go do it. Divorce her. But he didn't. So we had Adam and Eve in the garden deceived, but Joseph wasn't deceived. He held on to that word, and it says that after the angel had left, he woke up, and he did as the angel commanded him, and he married her, and they named him Jesus. Up to this point, for about 2,000 years, the Israelites, God's chosen people to be lights to the world, where the scripture says that through you the nations will be blessed, they had held on to this hope waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. 2,000 years, that's a long time. I mean, who's the oldest person here today? 2,000 years? How old are you, Jake? Man, you're ancient. Ancient. They've been holding on to this hope. 2,000 years, I can't get past this. 2,000 years. They've been longing with anticipation, this desire, not only for this rescue from foreign occupation, but from the predicament of their spiritual and physical corruption that began in the Garden of Eden. They've been waiting. And so at infancy of humanity, where Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world. That was their predicament. There was no way around it. They could try. They mustered all the strength to fulfill the covenant of God. They just couldn't do it. They kept tripping over themselves. And yet the Lord was patient. But for sake to understand the emphasis of what had occurred, we go back to the garden. And in the garden, God told Adam, I remember this, we, we put a lot on the shoulders of Eve, but he said to Adam, Adam, you're free to eat from anything that is here, except for this one tree. And so as a leader of, of the family unit, he had a responsibility. And after Eve came in to the world, the, the serpent deceived them, and sure, deceived Eve, but Adam didn't direct Eve to say, no, Eve, don't do it. And she was deceived and, and he gave in and was deceived. And it says in Romans 5, 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. It shows right there. There's no way around. There's no skirting the issue. No matter how hard you try, even today people try to circumvent this issue. Philanthropists and um, on all the whole nine yards, this doesn't work. And yet what I can appreciate about this before we even get back to the nativity is God loved the world so much it says right at the end of the story, it says in uh, Genesis 3.24, that as he sent man out of the garden, he stationed the cherubim angel with a flaming sword at the entry point, it says, to guard the way to the tree of life. Think about it. Had he not positioned that angel there, they would have had the ability to partake from the tree of life and live forever in their spiritual depravity. Apart from the awesome presence, enjoying the presence of God. 
that broken, fragmented relationship would have remained. And God said, no, I'm not going to have it. I'm not cool with that. My beloved, I want my future. I want heaven with them. It's like that song we sing. He couldn't imagine heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought your kingdom down. And here was the rescue plan. Genesis 3.14, it says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And what I appreciate about this, hopefully you're on the same page as me, is that God's force of his his righteous anger, if you will, was directly focused on the one who deserved it. And it was Satan. This angel who who was created to worship in the presence of God, to protect his holy presence. When these archangels became vain and through free will fell and had this vendetta against God's beloved, his creation, to turn away from the love of the Father. But God had a plan. That's where he says again, he will strike your head, serpent, and you will strike his heel. And so 76 years we're going to try and do a little bit of a you know, time jump here. 76 years after Christ's resurrection, the Apostle Paul speaks to this fulfillment. Again, we have this benefit here today. Romans 5.18. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for Everyone. Everyone. Sometimes at Christmas, unfortunately, not everyone can be included. There are some who are without. And yet in this, through this righteous act, everyone was thought of and included. Just think of that for a moment. He thought of you. He thought of me. And the bow, the red bow, was his life that he would give. But it all began with a birth began with this infancy. So remember, this infancy of humanity resulted in this spiritual depravity, but through infancy of this baby, Jesus, it would signal deliverance and rescue was close at hand. Imagine what it was like in that time. Again, it's been darkness, and there's been all this silence for over 400 years. And then all of a sudden, a proclamation, an angel appears. Joseph. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll become pregnant and give birth to a son and you'll name him Emmanuel. I can't imagine what it was like for Joseph, to be perfectly honest with you. After all that time, and Joseph thinking, you're working through us? All this time? He wasn't a man of prestige. He was preparing and and getting house affairs in order to provide for Mary. But he wasn't, again, he wasn't this famous guy in the village. (laughs) He wasn't a place of position and power like the palace. Amazing. So for 42 generations, we see here in verse 17, just shy of a thousand years, From the time of Abraham to this nativity story, God's people longed, waited, anticipated with hope for this rescue to appear. And then it came. At Christmas, hope can also wane. Many of us have been there because Christmas can stir different emotions, right? It's a time where we think and look at things fondly, but we remember the loss of loved ones and there's other stories and things that come into play. The people of God were just like us, right? Flesh and blood with real emotions, struggles. And so they were no different than us when they went through exile, 
When they were exiled out of their own city, out of their own country, in 597 BC, they thought as if all was lost. All these prophecies and promises were hogwash, if you will. It's not going to happen. Thoughts and reasons were given, and some right and some wrong. One of the reasons was that this was a form of of God's judgment because they have turned away from their first love. But God had a plan. He set things in motion. We're told in Micah 5 verse 2, it says this, Bethlehem, Ephrath, you you are small, sorry, among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And so nonetheless, in the midst of this exile, in the midst of great need, in the midst of great struggle, not living in their own homes, away from their homeland, if you will, the prophets didn't lose sight, didn't lose sight of this anticipation and hope, and they sounded the rally call. Imagine what it would have been like, Ron, just think about this, if they didn't have the prophets proclaiming and reminding the people, God is going to make good on his promise. Don't turn from him. Trust in him. Have faith in him. And so they prophesied and they were foretelling of this arrival. And a point I want to switch to here is that when we look to the word of God, we can see the words of God, his promises as fulfilled. And so let's look to the prophet Isaiah. He writes... Saying in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. In verse 6, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. Imagine that. Prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. Imagine this reign. Imagine this kingdom. It's unlike anything that we've ever seen, especially justice and righteousness. There's so much injustice and unrighteousness in our world. It's hard to imagine what this looks like. And that the prophet Isaiah reminded the people that time is coming. And now in this time and, and, and phase of the human history, we've seen this, but in glimpse, glimpses, as we're waiting for this to be fully fulfilled with Jesus arrives, returns once again. The prophet Haggai, in 520 BC, he writes, Uh, This uh, from the Lord, I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders, horses and the riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make for you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. And so all these prophecies, they're being proclaimed. There's, they're foretelling of what's going to take place. And sometimes we can think this is only in a certain time of history because it's mentioning horses and riders and things that we don't relate with here today. But it's symbolizing this great authority, how our Lord, when he returns, also as he did, will overturn these Gentile kingdoms. And so then, around 450 B.C., during the prophet Malachi's time, hope once again, if you can imagine, Lacey, hope once again appeared to fade into the background. There's times where we have great hope, like today we're singing, we're worshiping, and we're, we've mustered this hope and we're celebrating, we're excited. Well, the people of God at one point in, in this history, it began to fall to the background. And there was this silence. No word, nothing from the Lord. 
And we know that partially of why this silence occurred because the prophet Amos spoke of this in 742 BC, over 275 years prior. He says, he speaks to the, the heart issue of the people. In Amos 8:11, he says, Look, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Not of bread or a thirst of water, so unlike anything we've ever seen, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 742 BC, this prophecy goes out. And there was this silence 450 to 400 years before Christ arrived. And what did the people of God do with these prophecies? Some, they, they mustered the faith. They mustered the resolve. They stayed the perspective. But others went on as business as usual, fulfilling their own desires, serving other gods, marrying foreign gods, as Malachi the prophet would say. He said this, Judah has acted treacherously and has acted detestably. Detestable acts have been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So the people of God, they got caught up in these circumstances. They got caught up in the post-exile life, and they stopped anticipating. They stopped worshiping their first love. And they got caught up in their own way of life. And as I was going through this history lesson, if you will, I could see and, and relate very easily how easy it is to get caught up in life. Even at Christmas, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you because even at home, there's, I looked around and I thought, my goodness, we have all these lights and I kind of got carried away again this year. I didn't go up on the roof. But I translate everything from the roof to the ground. And so easily we get caught up in these things. Our anticipations, our desires, our hopes shift from him to what's going on around us. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to enjoy those times together, enjoy family celebrations. Or He's not saying, bro, you can't buy that gift for your brother that you really want to give him. <laughs> it's not about that. But he's created everything for our enjoyment, the Bible says, but we don't want to lose this perspective. And what I appreciate about this as we look to the nativity story here today, the amazing reality, when we look to the scriptures, when we look to human history, we see that in the midst of the wandering, in the midst of the straying, in the midst of the lack of reverence and repentance, does this sound a little bit familiar? That even in all that inability, that God kept his covenant with his people and gave them hope. Just as he continues to give us hope that our Lord and Savior is going to return. It's no joke. It's no fairy tale. He's coming back. On the way here, it was, it was absolutely amazing. My daughter and, and I were talking, and she started asking about what the return of the Lord is going to look like. I, didn't, I haven't been talking about any of this, and it was so great to talk about what this arrival is going to look like. One day, Jesus is going to return on the clouds with blazing fire and with his holy angels. He's going to gather all who look to him in faith. Having that conversation is what the, the, the prophets were doing, speaking to people, God, do not lose that anticipation. Do not lose that sense of hope, that urgency, that expectation. He's coming soon. And then Jesus arrived. In a form they didn't expect, because remember that one prophecy, he's going to overturn the Gentile kingdoms. They thought he would come as a man. But he came as an infant in a lowly state. This hope had arrived. Isaiah said the, the Messiah would rescue his people. Malachi said the messenger would prepare the way, which we know as John the Baptist. And Micah foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem. They were waiting and watching. It's just like the advent calendars we have at home. Have you got your advent calendars yet? Are you prepared? 
Still got to go get them? It's a beautiful thing because the very early calendars, when you open the windows, they were full of scripture verses speaking to these prophecies. So for reputation, uh, repetition, so people would remember. And over years, it became, you know, commercialized. And chocolate replaced the verses with beautiful images, of many of them unrelating to the story whatsoever. But what I appreciate about it is that we can redeem all things. And as you open those calendars, and even if it's a picture of a sleigh or Rudolph or whatever it may be, you can remember what that is originally symbolizing, looking to these prophecies, all that was foretold of how Jesus Christ would enter the scene. This hope that was given, this place in time that God had sent on the calendar of human history, that this was the day. Hope's a powerful thing to have. Imagine what it was like when Joseph heard those words. And when he came to grips, John, when he came to grips with this, I'm going to go along for the ride. Lord, I'm with you. When he came to grips, hope must have stirred within him, thinking, oh my goodness, the rescue, the deliverance of God's people is going to come through us. We're part of this. We're part of God's redemptive story. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, one of my favorites of all scriptures says this, hope delayed or deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. This longing the people had was fulfilled on this day when Jesus arrived. And so again, he said to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. How beautiful it is this side of human history. We have the luxury to open God's word and just think, wow, how cool is this? Thank you, Jesus. We can recall the words. We can recall these prophecies and see if God can move and fulfill all these promises, will he not fulfill that which is outstanding? Absolutely. Amen. There's only a few things that have to occur before Jesus returns. And so as you sit here in, in celebration and being reminded of all the things that transpired to bring Jesus Christ born into this world, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for the advent, his arrival? This Christmas, I encourage you as a church family, as you get together, as you, as you feast and you celebrate and look for your gift under the tree, Remember not only the gift that came to the world for you, but remember that he's coming back one day and he's bringing salvation, the reward for his saints with him. And we're all going to be caught up together in a twinkling of an eye. I can't wait for that day. I'm, John, we're going to see dad again. <laughs> Amen. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. It's the credible time of hope. You know, there are people as, you know, believers in the house of the Lord that when they put their trust in everything but this story, this, this true story, at times life can seem bleak. Maybe it doesn't matter and they lose hope. But there's something about you that's different that no matter what goes on around you, no matter even of loss and material things, this faith, this hope you have in Christ enables you to stay, to stand your ground, to remain and be unmoved and unshifted by what goes on in the world. I'm so deeply encouraged by people that even when they lose things in recessions, a lot of times if you were to interview people, well, how did you not lose all hope? How are you not like just completely beside yourself and depressed? A lot of them would say, well, well because my faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean you don't go through emotions, you're not hurt but that your trust is in the right place. And as I look back at this Christmas story as the worship team prepares to lead us, I am so thankful, like you, that God's rescue plan was not flawed, but it was exact in the timing precisely in which God intended for it to occur. In that little town of Bethlehem, in a very insignificant place, that our Savior was born 
and that he would change the course of human history. And that you and I are here today in celebration of that. Would I invite you to stand with us as we sing and as we declare Jesus over this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the occasion of your birth. Lord, even no matter what I have said here today, Lord, I thank you for your written word and your drawing of your Holy Spirit that speaks to us and guides us through the pages of this word. Your story and how you've been working in and through the lives of those who have trusted in you, have placed their faith in you, and how you're working in and through us. Thank you, Lord, that you remind us of the impact of your arrival, not only on how it impacted those so long ago, but Lord, it still reaches forward to today. And because we believe in you, we not only benefit from the price that you went and paid at Calvary, but Lord, we benefited the day when you return, the day of your wonderful day of the Lord. Lord, we look to that with expectation and anticipation. And this Christmas season, would you help us not to forget why you came to rescue us and lead us in all your ways. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. And if you're agreement, I invite you to say amen. Amen. Worship team, would you lead us? Thank you, Jesus. This is a new song here. Feel free to join us if you know it. There's such powerful words. This fits so great with your message, bro. We've got a friend, a brother. There is no judgment in the Lord. We're just singing out here. What a father, what a friend, what a savior he is. So you know it, sing with us. You don't, just reflect on these words and join us when you can. I've got a friend.
son. God really loves us. He did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save us through him. God really loves us. <laughs> that is a beautiful song. We're going to close out uh, singing that again, but I just want to remind you that this Tuesday evening, men, that's going to be the last um, men's group meeting we're going to have for, you know, during the holidays. We'll pick back up probably in February. But this Tuesday, men, if you're able to come out 7 p.m. at Mary Pierce's place, we're going to have a brief study about this uh, nativity story and what it means to us and how it speaks to us as men. Okay, so ladies, you have your own thing going on Wednesday night. Well, this one's for men. Okay, 7 p.m. If you have any questions, go to the welcome table after and we can have a chat. Otherwise, I encourage you as you go, as you reflect on the Tivity story, think of this song. What a beautiful song. God really loves us. He held nothing back. The perfect gift was his own son. He really loves us. Amen. So glad you're here today. Have a great rest of the day as the worship team closes out. Be blessed. Have a great time in Florida, Ron. We'll miss you, okay? Let's sing together.